America This Week, October 9th to October 15th, 2022. Nuclear brinkmanship goes next level. Insider trading runs amok. The Saudis switch teams. Demented activist girls attack the sunflowers. Britain owns itself. Three finance headlines and more. Welcome to America This Week, where with the help of journalistic professionals, you can badly misuse what may be one of your last hours on Earth, at least if this week's news is to be believed. Remember that there is a podcast version of America This Week in which author Walter Kern and Matt tackle issues of the week, going deep on everything from OPEC to nuclear holocaust to yay in a discussion you can find at taibi.substack.com. This was yet another week packed with world-shaking political and economic shifts. The top headlines. U.S.-Saudi romance on rocks. In a standoff that threatens to fundamentally alter America's relationship to the Middle East, Saudi Arabia issued a seething press release Wednesday, hinting at willingness to walk away from nearly a century of strategic cooperation with the U.S. Essentially, the dispute is about Ukraine. The Saudi-led Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC, once comprised 13 members, including Kuwait, Venezuela, and Qatar, but a new coalition called OPEC Plus was formed in 2018 that added 10 countries, including Mexico, Kazakhstan, and crucially, Russia. Last week, OPEC Plus announced it was cutting production by 2 million barrels a day, which will push prices higher everywhere, including already stressed Europe. This shows the energy crisis in Europe is threatening to escalate into a global price war, wrote the German paper Handelsblatt. American officials said the move benefited Russia, and Joe Biden told CNN Tuesday there would be consequences for what they've done with Russia. In response, the Saudis issued a biting statement, saying it rejected any dictates, actions, or efforts to distort its noble objectives, notwithstanding the solid pillars upon which the Saudi-U.S. relationship had stood over the past eight decades. Note the use of the past tense. More ominously, the release outed the U.S. for proposing postponing the OPEC Plus decision for a month, which critics both within the U.S. and in Europe blasted as a self-interested gambit to delay pain beyond midterm elections. Monster WSJ expose nails state officials. In a throwback example of sweeping, impactful, meticulous investigative reporting, six journalists at the Wall Street Journal outed some 2,600 officials in the executive branch for holding stock in companies lobbying their agencies for favorable policies. The blockbuster work may finally lead to concrete action to address a problem that's been a source of outrage for over a decade. In 2004, a professor named Alan Ziabrowski did a study finding that members of Congress outperformed the market by an average of 12%, which in turn led to the discovery that members of both parties were scoring huge profits on suspicious trades, which led to a 60 Minutes report that motivated the passage of the so-called Stock Act, which was thought to stop the problem by forcing disclosure. However, in early 2020, multiple well-known officials, including Senators Richard Burr of North Carolina and Dianne Feinstein of California, were accused of dumping stocks after learning inside info about COVID-19. And in incidents covered here, several officials at the Federal Reserve also admitted to similar activity. The WSJ uncovered problems beyond Congress, with masses of lower-profile officials in departments like Commerce and the Treasury. A Byzantine and absurdly ineffective monitoring system asks executive branch employees who already have other jobs to serve as designed agency ethics officials, or DAEOs, with the responsibility to monitor trades for people in their own departments, 
including superiors. Also, the agency responsible for enforcement, the Office of Government Ethics, has no punitive power. They can't make anyone do anything, is how Craig Holman, a public citizen, who helped draft the original Stock Act, described it. Even before the journal story, there was momentum for legislative efforts to affect total bans on stock trading, and such action seems likelier now, especially since, as Holman notes, polls show roughly 70% support for this legislation among Republicans, Democrats, and independents alike. We'll see, but kudos to the journal for pulling off what apparently was a pretty difficult job of obtaining the necessary records. You made journalism proud. Congress issues Trump subpoena. The campaign to bring Donald Trump under legal heel has begun to resemble one of those old military maps, a la Invasions of Sicily 1943, with one blob-like territory crossed all over with red arrows of varying width representing advances of conquering forces. When will Palermo fall? While the Department of Justice leads the main force under the twin investigations of January 6th and the Mar-a-Lago records case, a New York Attorney General, Letitia James, mounts a pincer attack to the North via a financial fraud prosecution. Congress this week parachuted into battle by issuing a subpoena to Trump for documents and testimony. The move capped an otherwise uneventful concluding hearing of the January 6th committee, which called no witnesses but voted to take what Chairman Benny Thompson of Mississippi conceded was a serious and extraordinary action. The subpoena now brings into play a scenario, already seen in the case of former Trump advisor Steve Bannon, in which refusal to appear could lead to a criminal contempt of Congress charge. No one has been jailed under this statute since the Red Scare of the 1950s and infamous cases like the Hollywood 10, although Bannon may be sentenced on October 21st. Note also, A.G. James in New York asked a court to allow the filing of electronic subpoenas for Trump and his son Eric, since they've refused to accept traditional service. Trump's reaction to Congress was a characteristic truth social message, wondering, why didn't the unselect committee ask me to testify months ago, and deeming the committee a total bust. Russia, West trade insane threats. As Russia and the U.S. continue to ratchet up nuclear tensions over Ukraine, the rest of the world's nations, like so many cautious parents driving cars full of kids on a highway where two cokeheads and Corvettes are swerving from lane to lane at 160 miles per hour, have been reduced to clinical observation of how and when their fates will be decided. Vladimir Putin, who became famous in Russia for promising Chechen rebels that he would whack them in an outhouse, has become a factory producer of amphibolous verbal constructions, saying Russia has various means of destruction at its disposal to enforce its territorial integrity, adding it's not a bluff. Joe Biden agreed, first saying at a fundraiser that Putin is not joking when he talks about the potential use of tactical nuclear weapons, adding he didn't think it was possible to use nukes and not end up with Armageddon. This prompted White House spokesperson Corrine Jean-Pierre to rush to tell reporters the U.S. had no intelligence that Putin planned imminently to launch a nuclear strike, which didn't feel reassuring. Biden then gave an interview to CNN's Jake Tapper, who tried politely to ask if maybe Biden didn't regret certain word choices, because when people hear the word Armageddon used by a U.S. president, they get scared. At which point Biden immediately used the word again, saying Putin should stop talking about nuclear weapons because that's when mistakes get made, and it could end in Armageddon. Meanwhile, EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell declared that after any nuclear attack on Ukraine, the Russian army will be annihilated, 
because the United States and NATO are not bluffing neither. Let's hope a double negative is the extent of any mistakes made on this front. Thanks for listening to the audio version of America This Week. To read the full version, and for the America This Week podcast with Matt Taibbi and Walter Kern, please visit taibbi.substack.com.